Well, good morning, everyone. It's a great uh, privilege for us to be here and to visit with you here at at Boulevard. Never uh, been here before. We've been to Florida, but it really is uh, quite a change for us because we're we come from the the Great White North, where some other people come from as well. Uh, Tony Martin and his family. We go back a long ways. Uh, in fact, it was right after I was saved that uh, Tony had me over to his place. We'll maybe uh, mention that a little bit later, just to keep him on his toes. <clears throat> but yeah, we're from way up north, uh, north of the Arctic watershed. I don't know if you've ever heard about that, but that means we were so far north in Ontario that when it rains, all the water flows north into the Arctic Ocean. It's about 20 minutes south of where my mom lives, uh, in Matheson, Ontario. So we live way, way, way up north. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, uh, I was saved when I was 19. I just thought I should maybe tell you a bit about where I came from. I have an identical twin brother. He's saved as well. Uh, but I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I was saved when I was 19. And when I was saved, my girlfriend had overdosed on drugs and died. I ended up on the streets of Vancouver. Uh, my older sisters, well, one was a stripper. The other one was a drug dealer. My older brother was a heavy metal guitarist in the clubs, and I just kind of floated between all this stuff. And so when I got saved, I had hair down to here. I had chains, leathers, studs, the whole nine yards. And my mom wrote me a letter after she got saved. She was the first one saved in my family. She's about three and a half feet tall. And she, she was the first one saved in my family. She loves the Lord, and she's been going on strong all these years. And she wrote me a letter, and she told me that she had been born again. And, of course, I, really, I was out west. My parents broke up. My dad was out there. My mom was out east. And we, our, us kids were like the broken uh, pieces of, uh, you know, divorce. And so I didn't want to hear about this religious stuff. But in the bottom of the letter, she said these words, I'm praying for you. And, and that, was, that really struck hard home to me. And uh, I'll tell you, if your mom's praying for you, that's it. You're done. <laughs> and if you're praying for uh, dear souls, don't give up. Because I'm here today as the, the fruit of a mother's prayers. And um, so she prayed, and I went to Ontario, and I heard the gospel for the first time. And uh, Garnet Cooney, he's a missionary to Ireland now, Garnet Cooney was preaching the gospel, and it was just as if I was the only person there at the end of the meeting, because God was speaking to me. And I had never heard the gospel before. I'd heard about religion. I'd heard about, you know, all the stuff on TV, but I never really understood the gospel. And so I was saved, <clears throat> and... I didn't really know how to pray, but I just basically said, Lord, I understood enough to get saved. And I said, Lord, uh, I've made a wreck of my life, and I want to give you the steering wheel of my life. That was basically what I said. Now, the next day, I was still smoking and swearing and had long hair, okay? But it bothered me the first time I swore after I got saved. The difference was that the Holy Spirit had come into my life, and it was nothing has ever been the same since. And I tell you, I lost uh, a third of my vocabulary and half my friends in three weeks. <laughs> and then I lost my hair. But anyways, that's, 
another story. So ever since then, we've been uh, um, serving the Lord, and I met my wife, and I got married, and uh, we went to uh, bridal school, I mean Bible school. <laughs> uh, she went a year before I did, and she didn't think there was much hope for me, but anyways, the Lord turned her around, and <clears throat> we have two kids, and they're going on for the Lord. And then in, in 1995, we went to Guatemala for uh, six and a half years on the mission field there. And then we came back <clears throat> uh, mostly for our kids, and we've been going on short-term teams ever since, as you can see by the E-teams. And uh, I was so thrilled to, to hear of your uh, connections here with, with the short-term missions. My, my motto is, or at least what I see in the scripture, is that you must go or send a substitute. I don't see any options Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So you either go and preach or you stay and pray. But we're all in the great ch- uh, challenge of reaching our generation for Christ. So one of, just one of the ways is through short-term teams. And so we've been uh, involved in missions. And then lately, in the last couple of years, we've had an opportunity to go to Cuba. So we've made three trips, my wife and I, for a month at a time uh, to visit some assemblies there. And... Um, um, get involved in the work of the Lord in Cuba. And that was, has really been an amazing opportunity and a real eye-opener. Um, <clears throat> and so that's just a little bit about ourselves. And we're, we're praying, and uh, the Lord is opening up the door again to return to the mission field, but this time uh, to Belize. So we're actually, um, like our daughter is getting married in April, and uh, she went to nursing school. She was out of the house for, I guess, over a year, you know, and they talk about that empty nest syndrome stuff. About 10 minutes for me. Anyways, (laughs) but you know what? She's getting married uh, to a lovely Christian fellow. And um, so anyways, we're we're praying and we're planning and we're uh, planning on going back to the mission field later this year. So that was one of the reasons why we thought it would be good to, to return here is because we've we're, we're uh, possibly going to be putting a vehicle and some stuff on a, on a container at Fort Lauderdale to go to Belize. We drove to, Mex- uh, we drove to Guatemala once because we needed a vehicle there. We drove from northern Ontario to Guatemala. Never do that again. <laughs> once was enough for me. So, so anyways, it is a great privilege to be here with you. And I would like to uh, share with you a message from Acts chapter 16. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 16, where we're going to be thinking about the gospel. I was originally studying the book of Philippians, and Acts chapter 16 actually gives you the historical backdrop, as it were, for the book of Philippians. And I've always loved this chapter. I saw some things that I never noticed before and uh, just was very encouraged, challenged, and refreshed by it. So I want to share with you a few thoughts from Acts chapter 16, and I've entitled it, The Gospel Goes to Europe, (laughs) because this is really a story of, of the very first seeds that were planted on European soil. It's a very incredible story about how the gospel didn't go east, it went west, and and how Paul went and preached the gospel, and a little assembly was planted in Philippi, the city of Philippi. And this is the the story here. But really, the story revolves around three people. 
the three people that we're going to focus on. I always focus on the Philippian jailer. That's the part I like. And, you know, Tony and I, we were involved with uh, prison ministry for quite a while. And it's always one of our favorite gospel stories in the prison, you know, because it's a great story of a prison break. But <clears throat> actually, um, it's more than just the story of him. So let's begin. Our text then is Acts chapter 16 and beginning at verse 11. And this is a, a story about three people. We have uh, a businesswoman named Lydia. We have a unanimous slave girl and then the Philippian jailer. And uh, we're just going to look at uh, what happens here and then make a few observations about the gospel. So let's start then. Verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and the next day came to Neapolis. That's a coastal town about 10 miles uh, from Philippi. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. So Philippi was a Roman colony. They would enjoy special privileges. They would have Latin as their official language. They would, it was almost like a, a Rome away from Rome. <laughs> it was a little miniature Rome, and they had special privileges there. So it was like a colony. It, well, it was a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So there's the first part about this businesswoman named Lydia. And the first thing I wanted to uh, say about this, about the gospel, was the unexpected way that the gospel came to this area. I mentioned that this is the very first uh, time that the gospel goes into uh, Europe. We don't have time to develop it, but in the first part of the chapter, Paul wanted to go east. And there was a number of ways that the Lord used to direct him elsewhere. And two times it says that the Holy Spirit did not allow him to go to Asia. Imagine what the history of the world would have looked like if Paul did go east. But he didn't. And for some reason, it says that the Holy Spirit didn't allow him to go to Asia, but sent him farther west. There was also the vision of this Macedonian man calling for help and saying, come over and help us. So there was a number of ways. But, but the thing that I, impresses me here is that God is in control. God is the one. He's the Lord of the harvest. And the Holy Spirit is, is really, he's the CEO of missions. <laughs> and the more that we allow him to impress upon us and to work in our lives, he never works contrary to his word. But he's the one who, if we're willing to submit to him, he can lead us and guide us. And uh, it's an amazing part of the story, the unexpected way that the gospel uh, comes there. And you know what? The gospel does reach people in unexpected ways. I wish I had time to tell you stories about Cuba. Um, but, you know, I, I am a firm believer in the fact that there is nothing that happens by accident, that, that behind history is the hand of God and God is working and we only see things from our perspective but there's so much more 
And uh, the gospel came to this place in, in, in an unexpected way. Um, the second thing that I want you to notice is the universal need of the gospel. This story impresses upon me the fact that it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are, you need the gospel. We have here three people, and you could not find people more different from each other. You have this, this businesswoman from, from Asia. Uh, she is uh, successful. She is um, intelligent. She's organized. She's a businesswoman. She's a seller of purple. And the next part of the story, we're going to see this anonymous slave girl. And she is like on the other end of the spectrum. Well, she's not even in her right mind because she's possessed by a spirit. And she's Greek. The third person that we're going to see is this rough jailer. And, and he's, he's a whole other story. Uh, and he's, he's Roman. So you have representatives from these three different people groups. Uh, in every way, they're totally different racially, gender, socially, economically. And I think what the Holy Spirit is showing us here in this passage is that everyone needs the gospel. The gospel is truly international. Amen? And, and that's, what this is, that's what's so wonderful about the gospel. Aren't you glad that the gospel isn't just for the rich? Amen? Or for the poor? Or for the educated? Thank the Lord for that. But it's not just for the, 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 the Jew or the Greek or the Roman or the educated or for people five centuries ago or for ten years from now. The gospel is for me and it's for you and it's for everybody. And there is a universal need for the gospel. And this story brings this out. There's three very different people. Uh, let's read about the, the second one. Well, we should mention that this, this place they went to, there was no synagogue. Paul he would always, wherever he went, he would go straight to the synagogue and talk to people, the Jews, about the scripture, to the Jew first. That was his practice. But there was no synagogue that we know about in Philippi. But there was a place where prayer was, was wont to be made. And it was by the river, down by the river. <laughs> and and it's a women's, there was women there praying. And, you know, I like that, the fact that there's, you know, there's a prayer meeting. Because you know what? I think that is the one thing that is neglected in the modern church is the prayer meeting <laughs> folks I, well i don't know about here i've never been here this is fantastic to be here to meet all you people and i don't know but i tell you i do know this that behind every work of god is prayer and we need prayer and we need to be praying and uh, so they believed in prayer and it says here some amazing things about her it says that she won she believed in god she didn't, her knowledge of God, she wasn't born again yet, but she was drawn. She had a spiritual thirst, a spiritual hunger. And she was drawn in some way to the one true God of Israel. And then it says this, that she was attentive to the things that were spoken by Paul. She, had, she was keen. And then it says this, an amazing thing, the Lord opened her heart. There's a sense in which salvation is of the Lord. And if we're going to get saved, it's a work of God. There's nobody that has ever been saved without the Lord working in their heart to draw them, to open their heart, and to, to put in, create in them a spiritual thirst and an interest. So that's what it says about her. Um, there's one other thing, but we'll come back to it. Now, the next part is in verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed 
with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit for by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us. You'll notice that Luke includes himself. This is the, the, one of the we sections of the book of Acts where the Dr. Luke is writing and he's there with them. And it's interesting that it ends when they leave Philippi because I think Dr. Luke stayed there. But he includes himself. Uh, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So we'll leave the preachers in jail there for a moment. But they go through, and here's the next person in this story and, and it's a it's an anonymous slave girl and she doesn't even belong to herself she is possessed by some spirit that allows her to tell the future in some way and the local people there are taking advantage of her and they're using her to make money she is in bondage to them and she comes she starts advertising for for the apostle paul and and he, she starts telling everybody these are the servants of god and they're preaching the way of salvation now what she was saying may have been true but paul didn't want that kind of advertising and he turns around and he casts the spirit out of her it's a spiritual battle and it doesn't say that she got saved but i think it's implied why would luke include it if she wasn't Saved. Now, I can't be dogmatic about that. It doesn't say that she was saved, but she was delivered of that spirit. And I think it's implied that she was delivered as well. And she's a nobody. She's nameless. But she's in the story. God loved her and the gospel came to her just the same as it did to the other uh, uh, girl. Let's go on in the story to this uh, jailer. Uh, And then we'll make... Some more observations. So verse 25, but at midnight, one of the great midnight scenes of the Bible. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved and your household. And then they spoke to the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Amazing conversion story of this Roman jailer. So this completes the story. And we have here, as I mentioned, three people that are so different. You know, and I'm looking out over the audience here today, and you know what? We're all different, aren't we? And what we see here is the unifying principle of the gospel. That is that it doesn't matter what background you are. It doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. When you're saved by the grace of God, God puts you in a family. And the gospel, folks, cuts through the strata of life. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or what nationality you are or who you are. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is, is that it takes people, whoever they are, so different, and it puts them together in a family. You know what the last verse of the chapter says? It says, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. That's where the assembly started, I think, was in the house of Lydia, because she was a woman of means. And now you have the beginning of a local church, an assembly. But look at how different the people are. One of the challenges of being a local church is getting along as a family, because we're so different. You know, and and that's the the wonder of the gospel, because it gives you the power to love people. You don't necessarily like them, right? But you love them because they're brothers and sisters. And this is the wonder of the gospel, that we being many are one body in Christ. And that's an incredible thing that we need to remember about the gospel. The unifying power of the gospel. It cuts right through society. All of the strata. We are are so used to categorizing ourselves and putting ourselves in different stations in life. The gospel doesn't know anything about that. And I think that we need a revival of seeing people as people. Amen? When you see somebody, do you see their station in life or do you see their need of the gospel? And I think we need that. I think we need to be reminded that the gospel is for people. Period. And it doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor or, or what, what, where they're from. Now, obviously, we need to use wisdom and tact and, and to learn where people are coming from and, and share the gospel in a way that resonates with them. But ultimately, we all need the gospel equally and the grace of God equally. Friends, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Amen? And that's what this story brings out to me, is the unifying power of the gospel. Not only that, but the unlimited power of the gospel. Look at this story of this Roman jailer, one of my favorite All-time favorites. Here's a guy who was rough. And each of these people had different needs. I think Lydia had an intellectual need. She, She listened to the things that were spoken by Paul, one of the greatest teachers of all of history. The girl, the 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 slave girl, she had a spiritual need. She was in bondage to a spirit. But this Roman, he he had a moral need. And he was a rough character. You had to be in that work as a jailer. And this is incredible. These preachers, they get thrown into prison. And this is, a great, is another story. And they're, you know, they're put into solitary confinement and their feet and hands put in stocks. And what does the Bible say about them? That they complained and moped and... No. It says they sang and praised the Lord. That's a miracle, folks. 
And that's the joy that the gospel brings, that even if you are in the valley or whether you're on the mountain, in Christ you can have that joy, that, that supernatural joy that the Lord, only the Lord can give you. And the world can't take away, and circumstances can't take away. This is the book of Philippians, the joy that is independent of circumstances. One of the other details which is so important, it says that they sang and praised the Lord. And you know what it says? And the prisoners heard them. The world is listening to us. The world is watching you in your circumstances of your life. The world is watching and the world is listening. I wonder what they hear from us sometimes, you know. Um, So they're listening and then there's an earthquake. And God shakes the foundations. Have you ever been in an earthquake? I've only been in one earthquake. Been in many tremors. When we lived in Guatemala, tremors were regular a part of life there. And for us, you know, as, as Canadians at first, it was kind of like a novelty, you know. Oh, did you feel that tremor today? It was at 3.05 and it lasted for 20 seconds. And it was kind of like a novelty for us and the kids. Did you feel that tremor? But I tell you what, the earthquake was not a novelty. The earthquake dissolved the novelty in the twinkling of an eye. Because when, when, when you feel an earthquake, your whole world is, is reduced to... Well, it was only, I think, about 25 seconds. I was with my daughter in our living room. The wall began to warp. And the floor, stone floor, it, it felt, the only way I can describe it is like jello, like the surface of jello. And I want to tell you, when everything firm in your world is reduced to jello, you're not worried about the bills or tomorrow or, or anything. You, the only thing you're worried about is right now. And it's almost like those moments when your life flashes before your eyes. I grabbed my daughter and we ran out of the house and the walls outside were like this and the telephone poles were going like that and the telephone wires were going snap, the real tight and then loose and snap. The earthquake was shaking us. And I thought with this story, you know what? It's the same thing. Sometimes God has to shake us to wake us. Sometimes God has to allow things in our life that will speak to us. This jailer needed to be shaken. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasure, right? And he speaks to us in, 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 our, in our world, but he shouts to us through our pain. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And I believe that. Sometimes God has to shake us to wake us. Because you know what? We were, we we're just prone to, to, to sleep through. This guy was sleeping. And of course, you know the story. The foundations were shaken. The doors were open. Their chains came off. And I mean, it was a jailbreak. And the jailer, when he woke up, he's like, okay, this is it. And he's going to commit suicide. Because as a Roman jailer, if you, your charges escaped, that's it. You're done. So he'd rather do it himself. He's about to commit suicide. And what happens? He takes a sword and uh, he's about to kill himself. And they, Paul says, listen, all the prisoners are here. Nobody's taken off. We're all here. And that shook his world. And then he asked the question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The, probably the greatest, most important question that you can ever ask yourself. What must I do to be saved? The gospel is personal. God has no grandchildren. You must deal with the Lord one on one.
personally. He says, what must I do to be saved? And then they're given that wonderful answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The power of the gospel. Um, the power is unlimited. And God saved that man. You know, when I think about this man, I think of another man up north. And he lived in Matheson. His name was Fred. He was, at, he was a caretaker at the old age home. And we used to go to Sunday school and the kids to give the little play at Easter and Christmas. And he always let us in. And we were kind of a novelty to him. And he used to make fun of me. He said, ah, I don't believe that Bible stuff, do you? He was a great big man about, you know, big, great big guy. And, I mean, he was... He was not anybody's friend. He was, he was loud. He was crude. He didn't smell nice. And he, he didn't have a friend in the world. And he teased me. And I said, well, Fred, you know, the Bible says you must be born again. That's all I said to him. Fred, you must be born again. He said, oh, you don't believe that Bible stuff, do you? I said, well, Fred, why don't I come over sometime and, and we can talk about it, you know, when we can sit down and talk about it. So he was happy. He didn't have a friend in his world. He had a path from his door to the beer store and back. Well-worn path. He was from Yugoslavia or something, and he didn't have a friend in the world. And when I went over to see him, I said, Fred, you must be born again. <laughs> so he, he, uh, he enjoyed us coming over because he didn't have any friends. So he said, come on over to my place for supper. And uh, so another time we went over for supper. You know what we had? We had uh, cabbage. Then the main course was cabbage. Then there was cabbage. And then there was, for dessert, cabbage. <laughs> That's all we ate. And I said, Fred, you must be born again. He didn't like that. That's what we said to him again and again and again. Fred came out to the chapel. We heard the message. Same message, Fred. You must be born again. Well, Fred softened. His old heart softened. And then his liver gave way, and he was in the hospital, and he was, he was uh, not given very much time to live. And I came in to see him, and, and he, was, he was right out of it. And I went in to see him again, and you know what? I came into the hospital room, and his face was completely different. It was all lit up, and there was a great big smile on his face like a Cheshire cat. And when I came in the room, I was like, Fred, what's up? He says, I've been born again. <laughs> Six days later, he was dead. Six days later, we contacted his only family in Toronto. She swore at me and hung up the phone. That was his only person he knew on planet Earth, other than the people over at Maths and Gospel Chapel. But I tell you what, God changed that man. It was the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. We see here the simplicity of the message as well. You know, th this is amazing as well. The simplicity of the message. Uh, what must I do to be saved? And you know, we complicate it, don't we? I mean, didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a puzzle. <laughs> Try and put it together. He didn't say, I am a maze. Try and get through. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's a beautiful simplicity to the gospel that it is it doesn't it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that we're sinners before God and we can't get to heaven in our sin and that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. And if we'll believe in him, trust him to get, take us to heaven, then we can be saved and we can have that assurance, you know? It's simple. 
We went to Ireland on a mission, and uh, i never forget the story I heard of J.N. Darby there, uh, who was a great preacher there, and he used to go all over the country on horseback. He's got more horse miles than all of us got air miles together. And he went all over the countryside, and there's a story, a true story, about this woman he used to visit, and she had a, a 12-year-old son, a little shepherd boy. And he got terribly sick, and he was ill, and the mother just wanted him to come and share the gospel with this little boy. And he just shared the gospel as simply as he could. And he said, it's in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Five words. But you see how personal it is? It's not the Lord is the shepherd. It's the Lord is my shepherd. And when he, when he said that, he, he grabbed his finger and he said, you see, son, it's, you have to make it yours. That's all. It's simple. The Lord is my shepherd. You just have to take him as your own. Well, he left and he came back a month or so later and the little boy had passed away. When he got talking to the mother, you know what she said? That when when she found him dead one morning in his bed, he was like this. He took the Savior. I mean, it's just a matter of reaching out and taking a free gift that is there for the taking. The simplicity of the gospel to... uh, to know the Lord. And then finally, the unselfish character of the gospel. And we'll close with this. This is something that I, I, I really enjoyed as well. The first uh, person, Lydia, you notice what it says in verse 15. After she gets saved, she says, come to my house and stay. The jailer as well. It says in verse 34, now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. <laughs> what a change. We see here the unselfish message of the gospel that when you're truly saved, you know what God does? He just changes your world upside down and you, be, you just want to give instead of get. And, and we can say here that when God opens the heart, he opens the home. And it's true. Haven't you experienced that? I know we, we, were, we had lunch with our brother uh, Malcolm the other day. And the lady came over to take her order. And she's like, boy, you guys are getting along well. And, uh, and I said, yeah, we've never met. <laughs> but it was like we'd known each other all our lives because we're part of the family of God. And I'll tell you about my friend Tony as well. I got saved in August 85. And right after I got saved, I got a job for his father's company. And it was probably the first job I'd ever really worked in my life. <laughs> you know, I was a high school dropout, never did anything with my life. When I got saved... God changed me, and, and I got a job. So I was working, and it was a little bit far away from home. I just wanted to be, but I had to live in a little uh, rooming house. And uh, Tony contacted me, and he heard about me, and he said, Sean, come on over to our place Tuesday night. Well, I don't know if it was Tuesday, Wednesday, it doesn't matter. He says, come over to my place. We're having a Bible study. And I went over there, and they just, I couldn't even open the door. They dragged me in and said, well, here's my family, and come on in. And they just smothered me with Christian hospitality. And I wandered around that house. I saw all these Tonys. How many are there? It's like Tony Senior, Senior, Senior. Then Tony Senior, Senior. And then, right? <laughs> it's true. And it's long heritage of family. And, 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 and I looked at his place and I'd never, and I said, what am I doing here? I, just, I, I, don't, I don't belong here. But I tell you, it didn't take long after a bit of fellowship at Tony's house to know that I'm a child of the king. 
And when God opens your heart, he opens your home. And it's just, that's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. Tremendous power in the gospel. So Acts chapter 16, the gospel goes to Europe. And uh, the gospel came here too. And uh, we've got to get the gospel out, folks. It's the greatest thing there is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the good news of the gospel today in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And, uh, Lord, to just be a, a small part of what you're doing, it's an amazing thing. And we just pray, Lord, that you would use us, as um, a dear sister of old said, channels only, uh, blessed Master, but with all thy wondrous power. So, Lord, I pray that you would use each one of your dear people here, Father, in a way to reach out to our world, our generation. Father, if there's someone here that still needs to be shaken to uh, uh, to wake up to the, the spiritual realities of getting saved, Lord, that you would do that by your spirit. So we just thank you for the special time that we've had together. And just pray, Father, for all the saints here at, at Boulevard. And we just ask your blessing now in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.